media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Would you open your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 11 and start with verse 27 this morning. Ten months ago, uh, some of you were with us at that time. Uh, you, we started the series on Mark. Uh, yes, it has been ten months. And some of you are going, yes, it seems like it's been ten months. And then others would say this morning that, uh, oh man, it seemed like we just kind of got started. But uh, whenever we're going to go, you know, kind of chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and take a, a slow move through the books of the Bible... Uh, sometimes we come upon even the shortest of Gospels, and it takes a while to go through there. But I pray that we begin to really see through that fluid study through the Scripture that we begin to see uh, depths that we would not get if we just kind of did a surface, more topical kind of view. Uh, you know, topical preaching is okay if we have a... Uh, I mean, we're going to do some topical preaching uh, in a couple of months on how to parent by grace and, and parenting and, and, you know, biblical parenting. And, and so we'll extract that from the Word of God and we'll do as best as we can to, just to, to be so faithful to the Word of God. But there's something about going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, guys, that we just see layers there. We begin to see things that we would miss if we just did kind of a surface view. So I pray that that's been a, a profitable thing for you. We still have a couple months left. Uh, to, to finish out, Mark, and yet we're going into this Passion Week. We're now into Tuesday of the Passion Week. Uh, but when I first, po- when we first started on the second week, I, I posed to you a question. On September 20th of last year, I asked, what's just harder? Recognizing authority in your life or submitting to authority in your life? I don't expect anybody to remember something I preached eight months ago in, in the sense of, oh, man, I remember that question. But maybe you do. But how would you answer that in, in your own hearts and your own lives this morning? How would you answer that? Recognizing authority? Do you have trouble recognizing authority? Or is it not so much the problem recognizing authority, but it's then submitting to that authority over your own authority of your own lives? I really believe this is probably one of the most pertinent questions of life. And today we really see this kind of come full circle because uh, when we started out, there was a question of authority in Christ's teaching and his, and his ministry. And we saw that early on. It came in a little church or a little tabernacle there in, in uh, Capernaum. Uh, there was maybe 100, maybe 150 plus. Uh, by what authority do you do this, Jesus? And it was early in that ministry. And so they were asking this same question. And it was a small town, small crowd. And now we are, three years later, in the ministry of Christ. Now we're not in a small little synagogue. Now we're in Jerusalem, kind of the hotbed of all of religious Jewish life. We're not before a small crowd of 100 or 150, but more than likely there's at least 100,000, if not 150,000 people now. And yet this question comes back. This question of authority by what authority do you do these things? Now remember, uh, Sunday, Palm Sunday, what we consider Palm Sunday, uh, as Jesus comes in. Monday, the events come about, um, and he turns over the tables there in the temple, and there's a confrontation between him and the religious leaders. 
And now it's Tuesday of this Passion Week, and we begin to see now they've had time, that is the religious leaders, they've had time to kind of soak in what happened on Monday, and they come back aggressively against Jesus. Very targeted in their questioning of Jesus. Mark chapter 11, verse 27 and 28. And they came again to Jerusalem, that is Jesus and the disciples. And as he was walking into the temple, the chief priest and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do them? Now, I think he's talking about more than just turning over the tables the day before. I think he's doing more. They're doing more and asking more of just, okay, this authority of what just happened 24 hours previously. I think they're looking back in this three-year ministry and going, okay, yeah, maybe it culminated yesterday as, as far as what we're addressing. But Jesus, where do you get this authority? Now, when it says the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, what we really see here is the most powerful religious leaders of that day, of the Jewish movement, the Sanhedrin. The San, Sanhedrin was um, the, these people that, uh, it was 71 members, and they were kind of the Supreme Court. And uh, can we show that next picture? I, they were kind of intimidating. They kind of dressed themselves up with some kind of religious garb to, to look very kind of religious and kind of overpowering and, hey, you're not one of us. And so they had things that they did, even in their dress and the way that they would kind of carry themselves, that said, we are the elite you are not. Have you ever met people like that? <laughs> yeah. Well, this they did that with the religious nature. And so they set themselves apart. Now, again, remember that there's 71 of them. They are kind of the Supreme Court. Even the Romans, even though the Romans had the political kind of authority of that day, they often would bow down to the Sanhedrin because they didn't want to upset things. Because one of the main things about the Roman government is they said, okay, keep peace. And the governors, that was their whole thing. Okay, it's filled with Jewish people, but keep peace. We, we have dominance over them, but don't let an uprising come. And so that was their objective. So even the Romans often would kind of bow down to the favor of this religious Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin. And to confront them was both suicidal in intelligence, oftentimes, and in uh, social terms. I mean, you could be outcast in a second. Talk about the council culture. They could counsel you in just a moment. And, and they were the smartest brains, supposedly. They, they were the ones that you know had studied and they had gone to school. And so they come and they take this aggressive mo- move toward Jesus and, and they ask him, by what authority are you doing all these things? We're the authority, <laughs> You're not. You're some simple rabbi that's just kind of going around and somehow people have followed you because you've done some miracles. The design of their question was to trap Jesus. It was not a pure question. It wasn't one of those that was of an inquisitive nature. They weren't going, by what authority do you do this? We just wonder. They very much want to back Jesus into the corner. Look back at verse 18 that we covered last week. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to what? Destroy him. I mean, they're just, okay, we just don't want to counsel him. We want to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. That They could not deny the miracles that Christ had done. They could not deny so many things that, that Jesus had this following, and they kind of thought that threat of this following was very much that the people would side with Jesus 
and not with them. And so he's a threat to all that they are. Don't be misled. This is not about right and wrong. Their question about authority is not, we stand on the scriptures and you seem to be coming against the scriptures. This is not a question of rightness and wrongness. This is all about power and authority. Who's going to rule? And so oftentimes in our own lives, guys, would you say that that's ultimately really the, the motive? I mean, we can hide it with moralism. We can say, okay, this is right. The Bible says to do this. The Bible says not to do that. And all those, we're not making light of that whatsoever. We are called into holiness and to live holy lives. But ultimately, when you really shake it down, doesn't it come down to when you and I make decisions in our lives, are we going to follow? Is it really about moralism or is it more about who's going to be the authority of our life? I mean, when you really get down to the roots, what would allow us to do something that we know and honestly believe and would tell 99.9% of 100 people, oh, this is wrong, and yet we follow in that path. Well, we can answer that in a theological way that we are a fallen people, and that would be correct and right. But the way that you and I live that out is that it's often this battle of authority. It's a battle that I know I live every day. I don't find myself so much in, in, in... and, and trying to wrestle with biblical truth. For the most part, I believe that 99% of the things out there in life are pretty much crystal clear as far as the Bible would make it. Hey, this is the right answer here. So our, our, our battle isn't so much, what about the moral nature of this question or this action? Would you agree, and at least give it in the 90s, that most things we know are right or wrong according to the, the Word of God? I mean, I know that there are some things that we struggle with. And I realize that, that we have our individual struggles. But wouldn't you agree that for the most part, we kind of know what's right and wrong? Well, see, that's not the battle here. Don't think that this is a battle over rightness or wrongness. It's a battle with power and authority. And I would challenge that most of our daily battles are not so much about rightness and wrongness. I think deep down, we kind of know right and wrong. I really do think that, that God has placed that. And especially as believers, if you're a believer in Christ, the very Spirit of God will convict you of that. And the truth of God will lead you in that way. And ours isn't some, man, I'm just in this moral quandary. No, the quandary is who's going to be the authority of our life. Anybody tracking with me? Do you relate to this? That this is our challenge? See, what's not that that really the root of man's original sin? If we go all the way back, as we often do, to Genesis 3, I told you many years ago when I started preaching here, I said, well, we'll probably visit Genesis, the early chapters of Genesis, almost every week because that's really the core of where we see God's perfect creation and yet this rebellion of man. And so we go back there again because wasn't, once again, the, the real sin of Adam and Eve, isn't it, is it, Yes, it's a wrong choice that they made, but it's because of authority. I mean, track back to that. Satan whispers into the ear of Eve, did God actually say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? I mean, that's what he whispers to her. Did Eve know right from wrong? Anybody remember what her response was? Her response God said, you shall not eat from any fruit of the tree, or that you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Folks, she knows the truth. It was not a battle over right and wrong. 
Eve knew the truth. What was it a battle over? Authority. Will. If they're in here, you don't have to raise your hand, but anybody ever have a strong-willed child? <laughs> well, your mom answered, and you answered at the same time. <laughs> The granddaughter that we're about to go see, uh, I don't know, it's kind of funny to us because she is a strong-willed. And uh, and Ashley calls at least once a day, what do you do about this? <laughs> and it's a, a matter of this will. Isn't it amazing? I mean, even when we see our kids, you know, we just sing the, the line of the lamb. Do your children have that? You know, they're going, oh, mama, hold me, you know. And then the next moment, Get a thousand yards away from me. I'm leaving the house. I'm leaving today. I'm packing up and I'm leaving. In fact, you leave, Mom. (laughs) This is my house. Don't you see that in our human nature, guys? And yes, we can say that it has the qualifications of a rightness and a wrongness. We're not minimizing moralism whatsoever. What we're doing, and what is the root of our sin? And it is one of rebellion. It's one, and that rebellion is recognizing that we want to be authority. And that's what Adam and Eve. She knew the truth, and she rebelled against the truth. And so all of a sudden, when all of a sudden God has a say on whom you date or what you do and how you should spend your money and what you watch on TV and how you spend your time, when we begin to say, okay, no, God, you really don't have an avenue there. You really don't have an influence there. That's a question of authority, guys. Now, we can argue all day about the nuances. Okay, should a Christian go see this movie or this movie? And we'll have all kinds of different answers to some of those questions. So moralism is a part of it. Rightness and wrongness can be kind of interpreted. But for the most part, aren't we uh, answering a question or asking the question, who's going to have authority in my life? It's easy to find fault with these Sadducees, Pharisees, these elders, this religious Supreme Court that Jesus is before, but but I would venture that that we have that same question in our own lives. We may have never have pronounced it this way, but I believe that many of us, by our actions, our thoughts, and by our very kind of nature, have looked to the heavenies and asked, by what authority are you doing these things, Jesus? Who gave you this, this authority to rule them over me? It's not really the bright side of humanity. It's kind of our dark side. But it's a real side. Now look how the Sanhedrin responded to Christ. Christ throws this out there, and, uh, and, uh, and look how uh, he responds. Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John, he's talking about John the Baptist, was it from heaven or from man? Answer me. Well, what are the last two words that Jesus said to them in response? Answer me. Who's in control of this conversation? <laughs> it's kind of like Pilate. When Pilate goes, do you not know I have the authority to send you to death? And I was telling them before the praise team, I was going, I'm surprised the Bible says, doesn't say, and Jesus laughed. But he does respond, he goes, you don't even know the authority. There is no question who's in control here, guys. 
The King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of all that is, is in control. And so he poses a question back to them, and he takes full control of the situation. He doesn't run and hide, and he responds with a question from a question. He is in command, and although he didn't start the conversation, he very much is leading this conversation. And the question posed to Jesus was really quite simple, and it uh, it was asked to kind of expose his lack of credentials in the Sanhedrin's mind. You know, where did you go to seminary? How long have, how big is your ministry? Have you written some books? How big is your church? I mean, isn't that kind of how we qualify people sometimes, even in the religious realm? Oh man, he's written 14 books. Well, that church has 10,000 people in it. You know, somehow we get all these human qualifications. Where did you go to school? What kind of degree do you have? I'm not saying that that doesn't have some importance. I'm not saying it doesn't have some relevance. But that's really what they're kind of doing with Jesus. You know, by what authority do you do this? You're just some traveling rabbi from some no-name town. You don't have, you haven't come through the established ranks. Who or what gives you this authority? And the question was aggressive and it was meant to be exposing. And yet we're going to find out that Christ exposes them and their motives. Look at his response, verse 29 and 30. I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from earth? Answer me. In one way, it may look like he's kind of avoiding the answer, uh, but he's not. He's getting down to the root of the heart of their question. Now, back in those days, the, the Hebrews followed what the Greeks did oftentimes. The Greeks were famous for answering a question with a question. Uh, if you've heard of Socrates, if you've heard of some of those other ones, that was a model that they often taught their students. Answer a question with a question to get to the root of the thing. And he does that here. And when he begins to ask them, he asks about the ministry of John the Baptist. Now, why did he do that? Why John the Baptist? Because Christ, uh, John the Baptist was the forerunner to announce that the Messiah was coming. He was the one that said the kingdom is now at hand. John chapter 1, look on the screen there. It says, uh, there was a man from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. That is, John the Baptist was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. We read on a little bit more in verse 29. The next day... When Jesus was coming toward him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist is making a declaration. Okay? Even when we go back to the early chapters of Mark, we begin to see this. It says in Mark chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. Look at verse 11. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Whose voice is that? That's God. Who is establishing the ministry of Christ? Yeah. John the Baptist kind of announces that, hey, this is the role that I'm playing. But God is the one that firmly establishes it there. Folks, make no mistake about it. Even though Jesus' questions to the religious leaders kind of seem like a reverse trap, it's not. 
It's getting them to, it's getting them to kind of understand the truth that is right then, there before them. If the religious leaders accepted John and all that John claimed, then they would accept the ministry of Jesus. Because what was the ministry of John? What was that proclamation? Here is the Lamb of God. This, this is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. This is the proclamation of John. It's a package deal. You can't have John the Baptist but not verify Jesus because they were, his ministry verified this ministry. One cannot be true without the other. This is why Jesus poses. What do you say about John the Baptist? See, we live in a kind of a cut and paste society. Would you agree that we're good at cutting and pasting? Or maybe not so much in the old cutting and pasting kindergarten terms, but that we are kind of selective of the information that we want. And ha- do we ever try to do that with Jesus? Do we, do we ever try to do that with God? Well, I really like this part of the Bible. I mean, I really like this. Oh, man, I don't like this part of the Old Testament. Or I don't like, you know, what Paul said about this particular matter. We, folks, we cut and paste a lot. And one thing that we learn from this confrontation that's going back and forth is that Jesus doesn't allow us to cut and paste especially when it comes to him. We want the lamb, but do we like the lion? I mean, one of the greatest things about studying about God and the theology of God is to know that all these different characteristics of God, all these different uh, things that he is, holy and just and jealous, full of wrath, full of love, mercy, grace, all these different things about God, that he's the perfection of all of those and that they don't kind of, one goes away, but the other one shows up. I guarantee you that that all of us, are we, you can call it two-sided, two-faced, you can call it, is there like a, a pleasant side of you and a not so pleasant side of you? And usually that's working in our lives kind of an ebb and a flow. Hey, don't go around mom today. <laughs> and that's coming from her husband, you know? <laughs> that's just a fair warning, you know? Don't go in there. See, ours ebb and flow. God is the fullness of all these things, guys. He is fully the lamb. He's fully the lion. And so Jesus is establishing this, and, and one way that he kind of personifies this a, a little bit is in, in the own ministry. John the Baptist. Was he of God or not? And here's the dilemma. They knew they were kind of in the middle. For if they said, okay, John the Baptist, we verify his ministry. Then Jesus said, well, he verified my ministry, so you're really verifying me. But if we don't do that, if we don't want to verify the ministry of Jesus, and we say that John the Baptist was all washed up, the people revolt. Why? Because they, the people thought that John the Baptist was a prophet. The proverbial rock in a hard place. Trying to find some kind of safety in a, in a very hard and difficult truth. What is their response? Verse 31 and 32. And they discussed it. I guarantee you they discussed it. 
I don't know if it's all 71 that discussed it, but they had a meeting over this. They had a called meeting over this, okay? And they discussed it with one another saying, if we say from heaven that John the Baptist's ministry is from heaven, he will say, well, then did you not, uh, why then did you not believe him? In other words, he's the one that verified me. Verse 32, but if we shall say from man, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really a prophet. Are those two truths in conflict? What John said and what Jesus is saying about himself? No. They are both true. What prevents these religious leaders that were most the most learned of men in that day, what prevents them from agreeing to that truth? They don't like the desired end. They don't like Jesus. Is it that they don't like him or they just don't want to bow down to his authority? Because verifying his authority means that their authority is somewhat diminished. Sounds like a predicament that you and I wrestle with every single day. The more that we make much of Christ and his authority in our life, the less authority that we have. Do you see that? I know I've said it probably 10 different ways this morning, and I don't want to bore you with that, but don't you see that that's the conflict? And would you agree that that is the conflict within your own mind and your own heart? See, I I think that we're pretty much like some of them, that they know truth. We're like Adam and Eve when we're whispered into the ear, ah, you need to do this. Did God really say that? Eve knew the truth. God really did say that. And so he got off the truth part and got into the authority part. Have you ever been challenged with that in your life? <laughs> Let me put it this way. Have you ever done something that you knew was wrong? Because God told you to? No, because you want it your own way. You want it your own authority. Well, Bobby, you're not really making us feel really good about ourselves this morning. That's okay, okay? Because I just want to be real with you. I want to say, okay, here, here's our, here's what we have in common in all humanity is that we desire to be the authority of our own lives. And even after God miraculously saves us, opens our eyes to the beauty of the gospel, comes and fills us with the very, his spirit in our lives, does that conflict stop just automatically? No, we still deal with that on a regular basis. On a regular basis today, you and I, even if you're a believer here this morning, will deal with, by what authority, Christ, can you tell me what I do watch and what I don't watch? Who I date or who I don't date? How I spend my money? How I do this? I mean, you fill in the blank with whatever the occasion is, but isn't this our lives? Look at Mark chapter 11, verse 33. I think this is pretty telling. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. Now let's just stop right there. Did they know? Did they know? Maybe we don't know how to answer without getting trapped. (laughs) Maybe we don't know how to answer without then submitting to the authority that you are truly the son of the living God. You are the coming Messiah. But they know, folks. 
See, if we go back, just the authority of Christ had already been established. Mark chapter 1, verse 22, Jesus taught with authority. Mark 2, 10, Jesus forgave sins with authority. Mark 3, 15, he cast out demons with authority. Mark 6, 17, he sends out the disciples with authority. The authority of Christ has been well established. The miracles of Christ, he has brought people back from the dead. They know, they just don't want to draw this right conclusion. It is not a matter of right and wrong. It is a matter of power and authority. And the challenge of your life and my life is not so much a challenge of right and wrong. We pretty much know it's a challenge of authority. Are we really going to bow down to this one? And live our lives in such a way that he truly is Lord over all, including us. That's the challenge of my Christian life. That's the the challenge of my faithfulness. I mean, are there a few things that we could get out there, this .01 percentile that we're going, you know, that's a head scratcher. I, I don't really know that the Bible gives a definite yes or no to this. But let's go with the 99.9% that we do know, that there's just a clear direction that the, 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 the word of God points us in. Or even if you said, oh, I don't know that it's that clear. Okay, let's go with the 90%. Would you at least give me 90%? That you think the Bible is really clear in what it teaches in a moral rightness and wrongness? So let's just take that 90% if you want to be argumentative against that it would be 99.9. Even then... Do you struggle with the 90%? Where does that struggle come from? It's not a matter of rightness and wrongness. It's a matter of authority and power. And that's going to be your challenge today. It's going to be my challenge. See, if it was just about information... Then a little more data. Did the Pharisees, the Sadducees, did this religious group, did they need just a little bit more data? And given a couple more weeks, they would say, ah, now it's been proven Christ is the authority. That's not what's in question. Do you need just a little bit more data? Or is there enough data before you this day that you would really look at the, the person of Christ and say, okay, this is who historically Christ is. Here's biblically what the Bible says about this Messiah, this King of kings, this Lord of lords. In one way, I feel like I've been so redundant this morning of the same thing over and over and over again, but but it has been purposeful. When I worked on the sermon, I go, man, how many times are you going to say that, Bobby? They're going to tone you out pretty soon. But the reason why I'm so repentant this morning because I, I really want us to make sure that we see that foundational challenge in our lives. Let's not cloud it up with, you know, some, well, I think this morally, you think that morally. There are those challenges out there. I'm the first to admit it. No, underneath, even if you and I would agree that this is right or this is wrong, How we live that out is the challenge. So I have a question for you this morning. Better yet, Christ has a question for you this morning. Do you just need a little bit more data? If you just had a little bit more biblical knowledge, then you know, that would solve everything. 
Or is it that I really don't want to submit to the authority of Christ in my life? I just really like kind of being my own captain of my own ship. I kind of like being my own boss. I mean, I couldn't wait to get out of my parents' house so I could go live the life that I wanted to. I wanted this. Man, I hate when my spouse nags me about this. I want to do. We all have this within us. And while that's part of the fallen humanity, and we're going to have that in our relationships, the relationship that is above all things is this relationship with your maker, your creator, holy God. One of the most important questions you will ever entertain in your mind. What do I do about the authority of Christ? Is the authority of who he is enough for me to, to submit myself to the power of the Holy Spirit? You can't do it on your own. The power of God in you. And submit to, okay, God, I just want to, I just want to follow you. Will you give me that ability? Will you give me clarity in the rightness and wrong if there is a question there? But God, even when you've made it so clear, will you give me the ability to bow and, and, and to make myself submit it to, to you? Because that is pleasing to you. My prayer is that God will open up our eyes to this today. Here's the good news, guys. I know this has been kind of a heavy service. Uh, sermon kind of. Uh, it's a heavy subject. Here's the good news. The same grace that saves us is the grace that sustains us. The very spirit that saved us, <laughs> the, the very work that saved us in Christ Jesus is the one that will sustain us and help us persevere for true believers. It's not you becoming a better person. It's not you getting more data and making a better choice. It's you submitting, laying down your life. And say, God, you are authority over everything in my life. And so if you say, date this person, not this person, spend money this way, not this way, watch this. I see those as kind of rules, but God, if you have, a, God, if you have an authority here, I sit my, submit myself to your authority. One of the most challenging things you will ever do in your life. And so we're going to close this morning with a, a song. It's a really simple song. Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. In every way, I need you, Lord. Because that is, I pray, the proclamation of our heart and our mind. God, I need you so much. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much. Father, what a, what a telling question was asked of Christ. By what authority? And Father, how relevant we see that question in our own lives this day, 2,000 years later. Father, we could go back thousands of years to Adam and Eve and we say that this was the burning question in the garden. By what authority? So, Father, today I pray that we just confess that we have this will, this desire to run our own life and that sometimes this desire to run our own life is going to be in conflict with what we know to be true. Father, when that conflict comes, I would pray that, Father, you would give us clarity, but more than that, Father, that you would give us submission. That, Father, that you would give us the ability to, to truly see you high and lifted up. That, Father, that we would be able to see what Isaiah saw as he entered into your throne room, that you are holy God. You are the creator of all things. And that this act of submission is not one of defeat. It is one of victory. 
For then we can truly live as you designed for us to live, Father, in the fullness of all that you are. Father, we need you every hour we need you. Thank you for the security of our faith in Christ and his finished work. And it's not teetering every day on our performance. But now, Father, help us to respond in lives that are obedient and submit it to your authority. We love you and we thank you. And we sing this song as both a confession of our need and a profession of our desire this morning to you. And we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.